0: Our biblical text for today comes from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, and I'll invite you to stand as I read the text. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. The girl said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Well, by all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy are not abana and farpar the rivers of damascus better than all the waters of israel couldn't i wash in them and be cleansed so he turned and went off in a rage Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm willing to bet that we've all seen it or heard it. Pictures or sound bites of celebrities or prominent figures who lost their cool and got caught at not their best moment. Tabloid covers, online ads, news stories, you really can't miss it in our technological age. And I expect that each of us probably have similar snapshots in the photo albums of our lives. Moments of indignation or rage, when our expectations were not met. I paid good money for that. We think or say or post on Facebook. Not getting what you ordered at a restaurant. Finally getting a toy that you saved up for for so long only to use it the first time and it break. Having work done on your house only to come home and find that the work is not done and now your carpet is soiled with muddy footprints? In our text for today, Naaman shows up in Israel expecting his money's worth. He has $80,000 in his back pocket and an array of expensive clothing. And he is ready to get rid of his leprosy which is the only dark spot on his otherwise spotless record. Expecting to receive the royal treatment, Naaman arrives at the king of Israel's palace only to be sent over to Elisha's place. And this military general who was responsible for the defeat of Israel is not even offered sweet tea and pound cake in the parlor. Already things are headed south. Elisha, a prophet, who is socially beneath Naaman, does not even show Naaman the courtesy of a face-to-face. He sends a messenger and tells Naaman to go for a swim in the Jordan River, the muddy, ugly, lifeless Jordan River. Much, much... Less nice than the rivers in Damascus. So one slight after another becomes too much, and Naaman is filled with rage. Naaman, like all of us, carries around with him this ruler of sorts by which he carefully measures all of his experiences. And the ruler he carries with him has been shaped by a lifetime of experience in the royal and military realm that made him into this mighty, well-decorated general standing in front of Elisha's house. Naaman is a man of big stature and big accomplishment. And so he expects a big cure some kind of magnificent magic show on the part of Elisha, and some kind of dramatic appearance by God. But Naaman's experience with Elisha does not measure up. He came to Israel feeling like his wealth and power and status were more than enough to merit healing from this Israelite God. And he kind of feels like he's earned the right for this part of his life to be better. But just in case that wasn't quite enough, he brought a bunch of treasure with him, just to be doubly sure. Boy, isn't this the water we swim in? We live in a world of endless transactions. You work, you get paid. You put in the study hours, you pass the test. You eat your vegetables, you get to have dessert. You go to college, you get a job. You come with money, you buy what you want. And not only do we live in a transactional world where we feel like we can pretty much earn what we want, We live in a time of tremendous expectation. Science and technology know no bounds. Right at our fingertips, we have access to a wealth of resources and information. YouTube videos make self-help and do-it-yourself accessible like never before, except to people like me who are engineeringly inept. And even though the challenges of this world and this time are very real and very pressing, we live among young people who believe that we can build a better world and we can make it more accessible to more people. So the rulers by which we measure our world are very complex and high in their level of expectation. Like Naaman, we misunderstand God. Sometimes we approach God with a sense of pride, the way that Naaman did. We feel that God should give us what we've worked for, a new job, a salary increase, an easier life. Or we believe that our prayers have somehow earned us an easier time in a difficult relationship. Or we think that our piety has in some way earned us the right to avoid this difficulty or that tragedy. If this is how we get stuck thinking about God as if God is some force that's in charge of all the uncontrolled contingencies along the way, as if God is responsible for working things out to our level of expectation, then when difficulty comes, and it will, our faith will crumble. Another way that we misunderstand God does not come out of pride, but from a place of guilt, or shame, or fear. We feel ashamed of our past, or ashamed of our feelings, or our failures, and so we try desperately to earn God's love, or to earn love and acceptance from anyone We feel guilty when we are not perfect. And so we add more and more things to our life to atone for our shortcomings. Or we are afraid of being a disappointment or being abandoned. And so we live in this endless cycle of trying to earn our way into the loving embrace of God. And if this is how we get stuck understanding God, then when real life happens, our faith will crumble. As we walk around in our everyday lives, we pass countless people whose belief died when real life happened. People who, in the darkest moments of their lives, only knew how to relate to God in this transactional way. They couldn't understand why bad things could happen to good people, or why hard work did not turn up good results, or why good intentions did not earn love or commitment or safety. People who maybe tried church or a small group and came away thinking, well, if only I would pray this prayer, or if only I would stay in church If only I would believe this certain set of beliefs, if only I could write a check for this amount, then I would feel right with God. Then I would find God. Then I would be saved. There are so many people living right outside the wall, the walls of this building, and maybe even sitting in the pews here today, who have learned that transactional faith isn't just a thin and arid way to relate to God. It does not work. For those of you who are here today, or for anyone listening out there who has struggled on this road, who is hungry for transformation or healing or a deeper faith that means something, in the difficulties of life, I am here to tell you that God does not deal in transactions, and God is not limited by our expectations. God is much bigger than these ideas. God does not deal in contracts but in the unconditional promise to love and create and to save and heal in all of creation biblical scholars agree that 1st and 2nd kings came together a few decades after the babylonians conquered judah and destroyed the temple in jerusalem And we can really only imagine the level of chaos and crisis that this brought in the lives of the Israelites. This was a tremendous blow to every part of their lives. So the books of Joshua through Kings in the Bible are a way for Israel to kind of make sense of what has happened to them. It's a way of helping them to survive, and to find God, to find some way forward in this reality that was not what they expected. In this part of the Bible and throughout the First Testament, we feel this tension between judgment and grace, the sense that God is punishing the Israelites for their failings, and at the same time God is saving and preserving them in spite of their failings. The whole point of the story of Naaman's healing is the grace and provision of Yahweh. When Naaman washes himself in the River Jordan, despite all the things that disqualify him from receiving God's favor, he is transformed. He is liberated from the idea that his pride or power or wealth mean anything before God and he knows that God is the only true God this Israelite God is the only one who is capable of healing him and liberating him from his pride and ego and expectations this is the only God who captures his heart and his devotion If you read just beyond verse 14 in our text for today, you will see that Naaman leaves a changed man with the intention of being and doing differently in the world. God calls you, God calls me, all of us, to lay down our rulers... And to bathe again and again in the River Jordan. To drench ourselves in this terrifyingly beautiful truth that the gospel, the saving and forgiving and healing power of God, in the end, wins out over judgment and punishment and condemnation. And as much as we want and need and try to earn our way and to meet our own expectations. God is all the more calling us deeper into this mystery of unconditional and everlasting love. So, what does that look like? What does it look like? to live into that mystery, to live in covenant with God instead of under contract with God. Around the holidays last year, I came across an Ikea commercial, of all things, where children basically wrote letters to their parents and letters to Santa Claus. ...about what they wanted for Christmas. So we're going to watch this commercial. And I think that ironically... ...it helps us to glimpse what covenant living looks like. And as they so often do... ...children give us a window into God's heart... ...and help us to reset our expectations and our directions... When children wrote letters to their parents, they asked for more time and more presence, more one-on-one, full attention togetherness, eating meals together, just being together. And as one mom says, imagine you want to give them the best you can, and the best is yourself. The best is yourself. On our journeys with God, when we run into disappointment or disorientation, maybe we, like Naaman, can lay down our pride, lay down our guilt and shame and fear, lay down our ideas of what we thought we wanted so that we can dive into the sustaining and creative grace of God instead.